small country church, and they did a baptism service at the river. Anybody got baptized at the river? Okay, a few of you. Well, this little country church, they were down there, they were gathered at the river, and the pastor was baptizing, and the town drunk stumbled into the whole thing. Of course, the pastor wanted him to get saved, so he called out to him, he said, Brother, why don't you come join me in the water? So he staggered down into the water, smiling, and the preacher said, Friend, are you ready to find Jesus? And much to his amazement, the man said, Yes, sir, I am. So he said, all right, I'm going to baptize you. So he put him under the water, brought him back up. Everybody was rejoicing. He said, tell me, did you find Jesus? He said, no, preacher, I didn't. And he looked at you and he said, well, I'll tell you what, let's baptize you again. So he put him under the water, brought him back up. He said, did you find Jesus? He said, no, sir. I'll tell you what, third time's a charm. We're going to baptize you name the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. So he takes him under the water, pulls him back up, and he says, did you find Jesus? He said, no, preacher, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> well, today I'm going to talk about alcohol. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> the subject of alcohol, or as William Shakespeare called it, the enemy men put in their mouths to steal away their brains. That's a fellow at 2C3 for the fact checkers. <laughs> What does the Bible say about alcohol? Can a Christian drink and should a Christian drink? And by the way, my jacket is a sobriety test. That's what I wore today. But today I want to give you five biblical truths about alcohol. Five things the Bible says about alcohol. Number one, the Bible forbids drunkenness. Okay? There is no commandment, thou shalt not drink wine. Okay? I believe there's good Bible evidence that we shouldn't drink, and I'll talk about that today, but there's no absolute prohibition against it. There is no thou shalt not drink, but there is a thou shalt not get drunk. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 18 says this, Be not drunk with wine. And then it gives you a better alternative, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Be not drunk. Getting drunk is a sin. That's pretty clear, right? Y'all with me so far? And some of y'all think it's a preacher's let me is too. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> some of y'all used to go to a box of wine. I go to a box of donuts. <laughs> They're both wrong. <laughs> overeating is also a sin, but there's a difference between overeating and getting drunk. Okay? Drunkenness is a sin like many other things, but there's an inherent danger to being drunk. Okay? If I'm driving down the road and a car is approaching me from the other direction, I would much rather than be a fat driver than a drunk driver. <laughs> Come on, I prefer fat bubba to drunk bubba all day long. <laughs> Drunkenness is listed in the Bible, it's mentioned as an extremely harmful sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. We've read this a lot this series. Have you ever noticed we keep kind of going back to 1 Corinthians? It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor the adulterers, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, the Bible is very clear that drunkenness is wrong, and a lifestyle of drunkenness can cost you everything. Bad things happen when people get drunk. We see this in the Bible. 
Okay? Noah got drunk and got naked. He exposed himself and brought shame on himself, and his son was cursed because of it. A guy named Lot, he got drunk and committed incest. The Israelites got drunk and worshipped idols. They worshipped the golden calf. David tried to get a man named Uriah drunk to cover up his own sin and ended up killing the man. Belshazzar threw a drunken party and lost his kingdom in one night. Bad things happen when people get drunk. Drunkenness leads to destruction. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says this, Wine is a mocker and strong drink. Strong, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wine will mock you, and strong drinks will get you into fights. Alcohol will make a fool out of you. But I want you to think about this. Of the people in the Bible who got drunk, half of them got naked. Some of you you want to be in a church, but you can relate to that. Being drunk will make a fool out of you, but it also opens the door to other things. That's why the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. The Bible tells us that drunkenness opens the door to an excess of sin. The NIV puts it like this. It says in Ephesians 5.18, NIV, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Christian Standard Version says this, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Billboards and the advertisements all around us glorify alcohol. They call it the good life, the high life, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. It looks good at first glance, it looks fun, and it looks like a party, but the Bible says don't fall for the pretty packaging and don't buy into the clever advertising. Again, we read Proverbs, do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Because at the last, it bites like a serpent, seems like a viper. Listen, in ministry, as a pastor, I've seen the other side of the billboard. I've seen the tragedy. I've seen the pain. I've seen the loss. I've stood in a funeral home watching a family weeping uncontrollably over a loved one killed by a drunk driver. The Bible says, don't look at the wine when it sparkles in the cup. Look at the ugly side of alcohol. According to the most recent report on the net from the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, half of the U.S. adult population drinks alcohol regularly. In the United States, there are more than 15 million alcoholics. 15 million, do you think we might have a problem? 29.7% of adults in the U.S. have gone on a drinking binge in the past month. And by the way, that's 79 million people. And if you're wondering why car insurance is going up, it ain't the gas prices. You have drunk drivers to think. Drunk driving on average costs the U.S. $199 billion a year. That's $571 for every person living in your house. Alcohol is a cause of over 30% of traffic fatalities, claiming over 10,000 lives a year, and that number is going up an average of 15% a year. Every day in the United States, more than 300,000 drunk drivers are on the road, and yet 3,500 on average get caught. Alcohol is the third leading cause of death in the United States. Number one is cigarettes, and number two is biscuit poisoning. 
Yeah, do that. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> Being ruminant. Number one is cigarettes. Two is obesity. Three is alcohol. Alcohol is especially harmful to babies in the womb. Medical science made that discovery in the 1800s, yet the Bible told us that all along. Judges 13, verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and, child, barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. And listen to what the angel of God said to her. See to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. Isn't that amazing? The Bible was right all along. Fetal alcohol disorders affect an estimated 40,000 infants each year, more than muscular dystrophy, Down syndrome, and spina bifida combined. And still, 10% of pregnant women surveyed admitted to drinking alcohol regularly. A recent study by the NIH discovered that as many as 5% of all first graders in the United States suffer from some degree of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Of all the drugs, including cocaine, heroin, and marijuana, alcohol is by far the most harmful to babies in the womb. And kids who start drinking at an early age are seven times more likely to be involved in an alcohol-related accident. And listen to me, church. 60% of underage drinkers get their alcohol from the home. Alcohol is a leading factor in domestic violence and sexual assault, and the numbers are rising. Again, the Word of God warns us, don't look at wine when it's red and when it sparkles in the cup and when it swirls around smoothly at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Never forget the ugly side of alcohol. So the Bible tells us not to be drunk, but here's, here's the real question, okay? And this is not only a theological question, this is an academic, scientific question as well. The medical community, where does drunkenness begin? You may not be drunk, but you're on the way to the destination. You see what I'm saying? Y'all bear with me, okay? Something to think about. Wine is not forbidden, but drunkenness is. That leads me to the second point. Alcohol in the Bible is not quite the same as alcohol today. No, Jesus did not turn the water into wine coolers. about how a patrolman who was following a car that was swerving, he pulled him over and he was shocked to see that a priest was driving the car and he said, sir, have you been drinking? No, sir. Said, well, what's in that flask in your seat? He said, it's just water. He said, well, let me see that. He took it and smelled it. He said, sir, this is wine. He said, go go and get it again. When you see the word wine in the Bible, it can be referring to any number of things. It's not always talking about fermented wine. It can describe any fruit of the vine, ranging from fresh grape juice to full of vinegar. When you see the term new wine in the Bible, that's any wine that came from the most recent harvest. So new wine is either partially fermented or most often not fermented at all. We see this in Isaiah 65, 8. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. So here we, said, here we find that new wine is being described as the juice is still in the grapes. So wine could refer to a range of things, and when Jesus turned the water into, the, into wine, because of my theology, because I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, there's 
And I'll tell you why. Getting drunk in the Bible is clearly a sin. And if Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God, the living Word, He would never do anything that would facilitate people to sin. Okay? You all with me so far? All right. I just, I'm just sorry. I didn't mean to take away your excuse. But <laughs> Jesus wasn't getting people drunk. He was meeting a need. And really, the whole point of turning the water into wine was a prophecy that it was no longer going to be the religious outside, the, the ceremonial water. It wasn't going to be religion on the outside. It was going to be the Holy Spirit on the inside. Amen. Here's something else. The use of wine in the Bible was different than it is today. Today, alcohol is considered a luxury, but in Bible times, it was a necessity. Why was it a necessity? For two reasons. One, it was a safe drinking source. It was the most common thing people had available to drink. Fermentation would serve as a natural purifier, killing bacteria. It was very common for people to mix water and wine together. They often used a ratio of one part wine to three parts water. And according to the Mishnah, everybody say Mishnah. Okay, according to the Jewish Mishnah, the history of Jewish traditions, it was also common practice for the Jewish people at that time to boil wine, which would remove all the alcohol. Isn't that interesting? So if you see the term wine in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the same thing that we think of as wine today. Wine was also used as medicine. We see this in the story of the Good Samaritan. He used wine to heal his wounds. We also see this in the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake as you're in your frequent infirmities. Now, don't come up to me after church today saying, my tummy hurts. <laughs> we have modern medicine for that. But in biblical times, wine was often the best medicine people had for certain illnesses. I know a missionary personally who never ever drinks alcohol, but he found himself, himself very sick to his stomach in a remote village, and the only medicine he has was alcohol that they gave him. It's also used as a painkiller or a sedative. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 6, give a strong drink to the perishing. So one of the uses of alcohol condoned by the Bible is when it's used as medication. So thank God my folks in their head. Y'all with me so far? Is that good? <laughs> all right. If not, keep listening. You'll get better. It'll be all right. Take a just hang on. Not done. So alcohol now and then is different. It served a different purpose, and it contained different levels of alcohol. Okay? Strong drink is always talking about fermented wine. Okay? Hard liquor did not exist in Bible times. Let me say that again for all the sipping saints. Okay? Hard liquor did not exist in biblical times. Distilling had not been invented yet. Distilling was invented by the Arabs in the year 800 AD, 700 years after the book of Revelation was written. Okay? It's impossible to have that high of a level of alcohol in ancient times like we see today. But even without that, drunkenness was still an issue. So number one, the Bible forbids drunkenness. Alcohol... And the Bible's not the same as it is today, but number three, and this is really getting into the heart of the message, Christians are called to a higher standard. There should be a difference between us and the world around us. This is what the scriptures say, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. 
Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. We live in a culture that glorifies drinking. I've heard many, many people in the Air Force talk about how heavily alcohol is emphasized in the Air Force, Air Force culture. Okay, I would not know that. I'm in the Salvation Army. <laughs> so we're in a culture <laughs> that glorifies alcohol. Okay? How, how, how many of you have noticed how much alcohol there is in children's movies? Animated movies. It blows my mind. Pay attention next time you watch a movie with your kids or grandkids, okay? It is everywhere. We live in a culture that glorifies alcohol, and we as the church should be countercultural. We should stand in contrast to the world around us, not leaning into popular culture. Okay? And there has been a major shift in church culture. I probably ought to, I'll should, probably shouldn't share it as a church, but I'll share it anyway because y'all know. It's just us, right? It's just you and me and the internet, okay? We can keep a secret. But several years ago, when our denominational leader had a meeting with ministers, he, he got up and, and he just he said, I want to reiterate how important it is that ministers of the gospel don't drink alcohol. And so smart, smart Alec in the back of the room said, I'll drink to that. <laughs> Nine years later, he has still not been identified, and it wasn't me. <laughs> But there's been a shift in church culture. I grew up in a church that preached hard against the ways of this world and preached that, that, that there's hope and that there's a better way to live and it's a lot different than people around us. Today, so many churches are letting their guard down and for what reason? I'm sorry, but I don't think alcohol is worth defending. God has called us to be holy and to be separate from the world. In church, we're called to a higher standard. Okay, y'all stay with me now. In the Bible, two groups of people were told to avoid alcohol. Now, y'all got to help me preach this morning. Y'all got to help me keep track of all this because, you know, I, I get confused sometimes. Y'all got to help me, all right? So I want you to remember group one and group two. Can y'all do that? Okay, the first group is priests. Okay, so what's group one? Thank you, I forgot already. All right, Leviticus 10, verse 9 says this, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. Y'all know in the Old Testament, when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, if they went into God's presence with sin, they would not survive. He said, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generation. So what's group one? Ezekiel 44, 21, no priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. So that's Group one. What's group one again? All right, here's group two. Group two is kings. What's group one? What's group two? All right, Proverbs 31, 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, for it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. So that's group two, kings. Now, y'all have me one more. Just give me group one. Group two? All right. Those are the two groups that should avoid alcohol. The Bible says in Revelation 1, verse 6, that Jesus has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
This verse alone settles the issue for me personally. This is who I am in Christ. Jesus made me a priest and a king. I will stay away from him. The priests were not allowed to drink wine when ministering before God in the temple. The Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 6, 19 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should glorify God in our body and our spirit. We shouldn't pack it full of donuts and alcohol. So you have to get everybody for that. You would bring alcohol in church, and maybe you should put it in your body as God's. I'm just giving you some thoughts. I am not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction to you whether or not you should drink. But I'm telling you truths from the Word of God to help you. Everybody still good? You still praying? If not, you can write me later. All right. Deuteronomy 29, verse 6. You ate no bread, drank no wine, or other fermented drink. I did this so you might know that I am the Lord your God. So number one, you can't get drunk. Number two, Alcohol in the Bible is not the same as what we see today. Three, Christians are called to a higher standard. Four, two more points. Next last one. Four, we must live by what we should do, not by what we can do. I hear people trying to make the case all the time, well, I have a right to drink. Maybe. But Christianity is not about rights. It's about responsibility. It's not a, not a question of can I drink. It's more of a question of should I. First Corinthians 10, 23 says this, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. This Christian walk is not about rights, it's about responsibilities. Remember, the kingdom of God is it's not the United States of God. It's not a democracy. When we come under his lordship, think about this. You're probably not going to suffer if you don't drink. But there's a chance you will suffer if you do. I'm not being dogmatic. There is no thou shalt not drink. But my goal as a pastor is to make sure that you never get to the point of thou shalt not get drunk. It's not a matter of can I drink. It's an issue of should I drink. If getting drunk is a sin, the best way to avoid getting drunk is don't drink at all. Ephesians 4.27 says this, Neither give place to the devil. But drunken is a sin, and it is. But don't give the devil a chance to make that a problem in your life. Don't give them an opportunity to pull you down into sin. One university spent $150,000 to study what, what causes alcoholism. $150,000 of the study was inconclusive. The thing is, for $149,000, I would have told them what causes alcoholism. Alcohol. You take that out of the equation, you ain't going to have no alcohol. It seems overly simple, but it's a fact. You take alcohol away, there won't be alcohol taken. Listen, one out of four people has an addictive personality. I do. If she means a gallon of milk, I'd go buy four of them. If I buy a package of them, I'll chew the whole thing before I even get to the car. 
I'm just crazy like that. God's wired me crazy, so what I do is I channel my crazy into positive directions. Anybody relate? Come on, we all got a little crazy in us, but God gave me a little extra, okay? I got ultra crazy going on here. If I'm awake, I'm drinking coffee, okay? That's just, I'm obsessive with stuff. This is how I'm wired, so I use it to my advantage. That's how I, I learned piano. I became obsessed with learning piano. That's how I study the scriptures. I become obsessed with the topic in the scriptures, and I search and search and search and search and search. We all have a little bit of that, but if you have an addictive personality, channel that thing for God. <laughs> Let God use that thing for good, and He will. But if you have an addictive personality, you've got to be extremely careful about guarding yourself against harmful addictions. You have to put up high walls. Okay? So I don't think about what I can do. I think about what I should do. Whether that's you or not, we all need to guard ourselves. The Bible says, give no place to the devil. Don't give the enemy any room to work in your life because the devil is subtle. He'll start small, just a step, just a taste, just one, but then another, and then another, before you know it, he's pulled you too far in. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Here's something else to think about. One out of ten people are prone to alcoholism. One tenth of every person that drinks will become an alcoholic. To me, that is a very high number. One out of ten. Now, if I told you that if, out of all the airplanes in the world, only one out of ten crashes, would you fly? If there is a one in ten chance of you becoming an alcoholic, it's probably not worth it. God tells us in 2 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. That word abstain means to avoid at all costs. Ultimately, whether or not you drink, it's not about you. It's not about me. Romans 14.21, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. How many of you honestly would be, and be honest, this is not a true question, how many of you would honestly be offended if you saw me drinking it up at the bar? Okay? That's good. I would too. Okay? That's reason enough for me not to do it. <laughs> so I don't carry my root beer around in a brown bag. <laughs> you just never know. You would be offended because I'm supposed to carry myself as an example of godly living. Now, I, I might be a carpenter, my name initials of JC, but I'm not Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect, but I strive to live a good example and have a good testimony before you. And Romans 14, 21 says that we shouldn't participate in anything that's going to cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble. I don't participate in something that would cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble, and I'm not going to participate in something that would cause my child to stumble. Okay? I don't keep a rattlesnake in the house. I can probably handle it, but what if my child gets into it and gets stuck? Come on. I won't do it. Here's my last point. I'm going to go 
the last point is this, number five, the Holy Spirit is much better than wine and spirits. The Holy Spirit is better than wine and spirits. Pastor, can I drink alcohol? My question is, why do you want to drink alcohol? For people saying, well, drinking wine has health benefits. Guess what? Grape juice has the same benefits. In fact, they found that the benefit is in the skin of the grape, not even in the juice. So, ha, ha, ha. Others tell me I take it to calm my nerves. Try the one who calms the speech. Stop looking for fulfillment in alcohol and let Jesus be your all in all. There's an alternative to getting drunk. Did you know that? It's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. You fill yourself with alcohol, you won't get in trouble. You fill yourself with the Spirit of God, you're going to have life and joy and hope and freedom, and you're going to be a witness to somebody. Maybe you're listening this morning and you struggle with alcohol. Listen, God loves you and I love you and we love you as a church. We're not here to condemn anybody. We're here to present the truth and let you know that we love you. God loves you. God has not given up on you. God wants you to be free and totally free. God doesn't want to condemn you. The Bible says in plain writing in John 3, 17, God did not send Jesus to condemn the world. He came to love you and to save you and to set you free. And this morning, we want to pray for you, but before we pray, I want to give you some practical steps. And I'm done. My message is over, but this is bonus round, all right? This is free material, no extra charge. Five steps. A is trust God to set you free. God promises freedom for you. You've got to first have faith in God. We cannot fix ourselves. That is the fundamental message of the gospel. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. Only God can do that. So A, trust in God. And B, change the way you think. Your flesh may crave it, but when you've been born again, your spirit hates it. Think of yourself according to who you are in Christ, not how you feel today. And that's a word for everybody. C, change your vocabulary. Okay? It's not like Alcoholics Anonymous where the first thing you do is say, I'm an alcoholic. Quote the Word of God because my Bible says, He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So don't walk through life with the label of I'm an alcoholic. You are free in Christ Jesus. He has given you a new identity. And the Bible says that hell has no power over you. Change your vocabulary. D, change your environment. If you want to be free from drinking, you need to clear out the liquor cabinet. Pour out the nice will if you got to. But give it to me, I'll take If you drive past your favorite drinking spot on the way to work, you need to find a new way to come home. Change your environment. Get any temptation out. If you hang out with people who love to drink, <laughs> you just need to stick to text messages and emails. You need to surround yourself with people who want to strengthen you, not pull you down. Amen. And ease. Last point, take it one day at a time. Instead of getting overwhelmed with the thought of, I'll never ever drink again, you can say this, I ain't going to drink today. Jesus said, live one day at a time because sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, each day has enough trouble to worry you. 
You worry about today and take it one day at a time, and God is going to strengthen you and guide you every step of the way. So if you're here today and you struggle with alcohol, there is hope. If you're here today and you don't struggle with alcohol, don't judge people who do. That's how you end up with clean but mean church people. They feel better about themselves because they point out everybody else's sin. Listen, you can live your entire life and never drink a sip of alcohol and still go to hell. You hear me? Put that on Twitter. Why? Because we all need Jesus. Every single one of us, not one of us can get into the kingdom of God by our own works. We are saved by grace and it is the gift of God. Amen? Will you stand as we pray and as the worship team comes?
I know what it is to watch somebody be bound by that and how much it affects somebody's life. And yes, it's just alcohol, but I'm telling you, it's something that I love somebody that I love so much because it is so addictive. And so many people sit in silence and don't reach out for help. And I'm here today to tell you that God can help you. It's not something that you need to relax because I've always my father's excuse. I want to have fun. I want to relax. I need to get away. I need to unwind. That's not the answer. Because that night that he decided to get in that on that motorcycle, he was trying to unwind because he was upset about something. And it went way too far. Thank God that nobody else was involved. But I lost my dad. And it's been 11 years, and to this day, that pain never goes away. You just learn how to live a different type of life. But I'm telling you, because if you're struggling today, surrender that struggle to God. I wish 11 years ago, my dad would have reached out for help, and he would have surrendered that to God, even if it's just something you do once in a while. I just encourage you, as someone that has been affected by that so much, think about your kids. I wish my father would have thought about what he was leaving behind, but it was so strong on him. And you know, you can... You can relate this to drugs too. It's not, it's so strong that he didn't think about anybody else. But from that I learned the harmfulness of what alcohol and drugs can do to your life. And I know there's people sitting here. I'm not the only one. I am not the only one that it has affected. I'm not the only family that it has destroyed. So this morning, I'm going to pray for two things. One is if you're struggling with it, I want you to hear from somebody that it has, it has affected. And think about that the next time. Reach out for help. God is your answer, and you've got a great support system. And there are many resources for help. And two, I'm going to pray for the families that it has affected. For the kids that it has affected. So this morning, if if you feel anything and you know this has affected your life in any kind of way, it's nobody's business. Because when we're praying, we're gonna close our eyes, listen to you and God. I just want you just to reach out and say, God, surrender, surrender the hurt, surrender the struggle. And today, let that be a day of freedom. If you've been affected by freedom and healing. If you're struggling with it, let today be the day that those chains begin to break off. And tomorrow be a new day. That in this moment, it's a new day. You say, I'm going to commit to you, God. And I'm going to walk away from that type of lifestyle. And when you start to struggle, you call tonight. Lord, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you, Father, for this message. Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you are the God of freedom. And Lord, this morning, if there's anybody that's 
struggling with alcohol, Father. Lord, I declare in the name of Jesus that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And God, I thank you for freedom in this house this morning. For anybody that justifies, Father, Lord, that it's how they can relax or they cope. God, this morning, I thank you, Father, for freedom in that. God, that the next time that they take a sip of alcohol or they try to attempt to do drugs, that they physically get sick and are unable to take that anymore in their body. God, their body cannot even contain the alcohol or the drugs, but that they're sick from it. Lord, I thank you, Father, for healing. God, I thank you for deliverance. Lord, I thank you for freedom in the name of Jesus. Lord, that not another day will people struggle from that. The Lord, that they'll be free. And Lord, I pray for every family today that alcohol or drugs have affected. For every mother, for every father, for every child, for every sibling, whoever it may be, God, I pray right now for them. Lord, I pray that you bring healing into their life. And God, if they've decided to try to walk the same road this morning, I thank you for freedom from drugs. That that learned behavior will be unlearned. That, Lord, I thank you, Father, for healing and families. God, I thank you, Father, for just restoration, for people to be put back together, Lord. That that destructive behavior will no longer destroy family units, Lord. But that they will become whole and free from the struggles and the chains of what the enemy has tried to keep people bound so much with. And God, I thank you, Father, for a church that is not judgmental. That whenever people come in here struggling, God, that we love them with open arms, Father. And we meet them where they're at, Father. And Lord, that we love them through the struggle, Lord, and that we be resources for people, Father. Lord, I thank you that you help us as Christians to see people where they're at, Father, and to meet them there. That that judgmental spirit has to go. And Lord, I just thank you, Father, for just rebuilding the standards in your people, Lord. Where people have lost sight because there's things that are accepted in the world, and it's popular, and it's what people do. That this morning, Father, that there's a new standard that is coming up. God, that it's a standard that gets us back to where we used to be. And that's a standard of morality, Lord. It's a standard that's free from sin and engaging in it and justifying what the world says is okay. But that we get back to what God says. Not what everybody else says, but we focus on what the Word of God says. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for doing a move this morning. For moving on hearts, for touching minds. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for healing most of all. Lord, I thank you for just healing to flow through. Lord, for just touching people right now where they're at. You know their hearts, Father. You know what they think. And Lord, I thank you for being with people that when they decide to take the first step, God, that you carry them through the next steps that they have to take. And Lord, that this morning people surrender to you, Father. Lord, that they surrender their life to you. They surrender their problems and their burdens and their chains to you, Father. That this morning that they lay it at your feet. And they give it to you. They give that family member to you, Father. They trust you with them wholeheartedly. And Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. He is a good God. 